Hello, and welcome to the Loft Podcast. This week, we will be continuing our God So Loved series. Get ready to have your thinking challenged and your faith turned up. Here's Lisa. Mormon God. God, would you do a miracle in our hearts this morning as we lean in to what you're trying to say to us? We love you, God. We want you. We want what you want. Make our desire like your desire, God. Help us to put everything that we are in your hands and trust you, God, and then stand up and walk with that faith that you've given us. Speak life to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're trying to look for, yeah, you guys, if you want to give your offering, go ahead and see Angie anytime you want. Get, get back there, and uh, you can get on Givelify if you're online. And I appreciate you that watch online that are giving. That's tremendous. We're getting so close to the goal of having the parking lot paved here. And we're, I think we're just a couple thousand dollars away from that now. We're starting to schedule that. So we're going to see that happen, and then you're going to watch this building on the outside transform. And then I'll probably be ready to remodel the inside again. But we'll see. Whatever, whatever God speaks to us to do. So thank you for your faithfulness in giving. So we've been in this series, um, For God So Loved the World. And we're answering some questions. Who is God? What is love? Why does he love the world so much? And the last couple of weeks, we've pondered some of those kinds of things. But now we're looking at what the God that loves us, for God so loved the world, what, is he, what has he done and what is he doing? And what is his intention then for us as his kids? We're not just people anymore that wander around the earth wondering who God is. We've accepted Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord, as our King. We're his kids now. We have an inheritance. We talked about this last week, that, that by faith in, in God who loved me and gave himself for me, he leaves me a divine inheritance of his heart of his, his spiritual DNA, if you will, that I don't have to live a life that's broken anymore, and I don't have to be a victim of what I lived through before because I'm inheriting the new DNA of my father that leads me to understand that I'm made in his image and his likeness, and I am an overcomer, able to overcome all the obstacles and all the hurt of life. He's a transformer. And today we're going to talk about, for God so loved the world, that he set us in community. Can you say the word community out loud? Community. If you say it really loud so people can understand, there's a few people in here. Community? community. See, there's some people in here. There's, it's a community of believers. You know, yesterday we had, it was raining here in St. Louis. I mean, it was raining. It was very, very moist, 100% humidity all day. And it was my brother's birthday, so my niece made this beautiful party for him, my nieces, and just set out this great spread of food, and it was fabulous, but you're expecting a ton of people to come to something like that, but when it rains, you know what happens? The same thing that happens on a Sunday morning when it rains and there's church, and people are like, oh, it's raining, I think I'll just stay in, and, and people stayed home, but, but you know who came? The people that love you, the people that love my brother, the people that are in his community, the people that hang around him, and it was, it was interesting to look around. I, I was like, wow, we have some really good friends that will sit out here in the rain and and, and my little great-nephew was loving it, running around, getting soaking wet in all the grass. And it was a great event. It was, it was community. It was celebrating someone's life. It's what we do here. We come in here and we celebrate. And I, I think just for me, I'm, I'm kind of what you'd call an optimist. I always try to believe the best thing. I always try to look at what would be the best outcome and, and speak that. And so I hoped that 2021 was going to just be like a rebound, like we get back to business as usual, you know, just come back, let's go back to work. Everybody, let's go back to work. You know, we can't even get people to work at Chick-fil-A right now. It's crazy. Chick-fil-A has an amazing sandwich, everyone. Go get a job. They're paying high dollars for it, too. 
you know, something happened, though. Something happened. So we got a little broken. Because if, if who's going to go work for $15 an hour if the government's going to cut you a, a check for $15 an hour? It doesn't matter if it's monopoly money. It doesn't matter if it's just if it's just money that was printed. It doesn't matter. We'll do whatever we have to do because we lost something. We lost our work ethic. We lost our pride to care about things like that. And it was my hope that we would just bounce back after a global pandemic, that the 2020 would be behind us, we would have clear vision for a future, and that 2021 would just be amazing. We would rise from it. And in my own life and in my own heart, I kind of move along that way the best that I can. But I, when I look around the world, I can see it's a great big old fat continuation of the year before. And I know this because I'll be driving in my car and I see someone else in their car and they're still wearing a mask in their own car with the door closed and they're driving with the mask on, you know? I, I mean, I'm not a genius or anything and maybe, maybe there's some kind of virus that can get through your car window at 60 miles an hour and into your room. I don't know, I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud, I, I don't know. And then I'll look at somebody that'll be walking down the road or walking down the, we're driving around the, the neighborhood, you know, you just come and go. And I'll see people walking by themselves with a mask on. No one's near them. No one. There's no one around. And again, I think, what is that? You know? That's weird. That's fear. That is fear. And when I'm looking at I'm looking at what happened to us because when you have a crisis and it's quick or even if it's if somebody dies, you have a crisis and somebody dies. That's the hardest crisis to go through. And I've lost people close to me, I know. But you go through a season of time, and then you, you, like, you recalibrate your brain, and then you come back to like normal or what it was before, like, kind of normal. You always have a sense of missing a person. There's always something that you know, resonates or rings in your, in your mind you know, forever when you've loved someone. But you come back. When there's a crisis, you have a flat tire. It's a bad day. It's not a bad life. You bounce right back. You know what I'm saying? But when the crisis is long, we change. And so some things change for the better. I mean, like I talked to my staff team. We're, we're like, we love not having an overflowing calendar where we all are working five days a week at the church. And everybody who agrees with that say amen. The, the five people that do it, yeah. You know, but it's like we, we discovered we can still serve our body. We can still serve our community. We can still love God. We can come in here and worship. We can have an online presence. And it's powerful. And we don't have to burn ourselves out in our calendar. And we never will again. You know, we, we learned, we were on vacation last year in Santa Rosa Beach with, with my family. And I met a couple there. And they told us that, you know, this was in 2020, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in 2020. And my family's there. We, it was safe. Florida had opened up. We were able to, to go. They had lifted the mask mandate and everything. It was, an, it was a good time to be there. And we met a local couple that told us that, you know, 10 years ago, 70% of the housing here was tourist, and just 30% of it was residential, where people live, live here and have their community here. He goes, but now it's 70% occupied. People have bought up the land. And we're like, what? Why? You know, what? Why? And they said, well, because with, with you know, the pandemic, people understood they can work from home, which means they can work from anywhere next to the beach. They don't have to be cloistered in a in an office somewhere in, in a crowded city, they can work from right here and put their laptop out right here and work. And so those are things that I call those positive things. If you can, if you, if you can do it that way, it's great. But you know what the negative side of that is? We're more isolated than we've ever been. More virtual than we've ever been. And so it left us in a place where now we have an excuse to stay home on Sunday just before 
just before this whole thing blew up with, with that virus, I'm trying never to say the word because then they flag you on your, on your Facebook and, and, and see what you're saying. I don't want that. But when, before all that stuff happened, we were starting to fill up the room. And it was feeling really good in here. And there was a lot of energy. And people were having deliverance. People were finding salvation in Jesus. People were encouraging each other. People were hanging out together. It was, it was a really good time. It kind of what we do now, it was just there, was, there were more people being impacted. And it was powerful. And it still is. But you get what I'm saying. After everything went down, people now feel they have an excuse to stay home. This is a reason to stay home. I'm just going to stay here in my pajamas and tune in online. And look, I love people that tune in online. I love that we have a presence on Facebook, that people want to follow us, that we have a, a podcast out there and people are listening. I love that. That's an honor. I've told you a million times, I am shocked that anybody would sit there and listen to me talk for that long. It's, it's crazy. But I love it because I believe that it's God speaking through me to people, and I'm, and I'm honored to do that. But the excuse still remains. How do we stay home? How do we... How do we continue to stay home? How do we continue to not assemble together? There's a scripture here in Hebrews. I'm sure we're all well familiar with it. It says, do not forsake assembling yourselves together. But the beginning of it says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This is the context by which we don't forsake assembling ourselves together. We don't want to lose the confession of our hope. Okay? We don't want to be wavering out there. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good work. Consider one another. You know, when you're isolated and you're alone, who do you think about? Yourself. Me, myself, and I. My, 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 me, me, and I. Mine, 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 me. But when you assemble together, you hold fast the confession of your hope and you don't waver and you stir each other up for good work. That's why we faithfully continually end up on a parking lot feeding people. Yeah. And we don't make them sit here and suffer through the glory of another message before we give them the food either. We, you know why we give them the food? Because we're stirred up because we're not wavering from our confession of hope that we have. So we don't forsake assembling ourselves together. Verse 25, such is the manner of some. But we exhort one another, we teach each other, we train, we correct, we speak life to each other. And so much more as you see the day approaching, what day? The day when the heavens part and there's a toe that touches the Mount of Olives and everything opens up and Jesus comes for us again. We believe in that. We believe he's coming again for us. So we live our lives thusly, thusly. That was a Bible word. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some. Here in Genesis... Chapter 2, God said, it's not good for the man to be alone, so I'll make him a helper, a companion. So God formed the dirt, God from the dirt of the ground. Let me try this again. So God formed from the dirt of the ground all the animals of the field and all the birds of the air and brought them to the man, Adam, to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature was its name. The man named cattle, the birds of the air, he named the wild animals, and he didn't find a suitable companion. And, you know, I just, I would say at one point Adam probably got pretty bored because he started with, like, one-syllable words like cat, rat, bat, you know, anyway, because just for fun. So in verse 21, I don't know how you guys think when you read the Bible, but that's how I think. I'm like, wow, Adam, and I just paused there. Adam named all of the animals, all of them. You know, how do you come up with a big word, you know? Did somebody just say orangutan? So orangutan, who thinks of that? 
You know, it's like Adam thought to name all of the animals. It's profound. So God put man in a deep sleep. And as he slept, he removed one of his ribs and replaced it with flesh. God then used that rib that he had taken from the man to make woman and presented her to the man. And the man said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she was made for man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. And the two of them, the man and the wife, were naked, and they felt no shame. And that's awesome. The man said, finally. I'm not talking about marriage today when I'm speaking this message. I'm talking about life. It is not good for anyone to be alone or to live life alone or by yourself or isolated. And when you do, you get weird. You flounder. You're not able to hold, you're not able to hold secure to your confession of hope. You're not able to do it. You know what? You, you flounder and you waver. There's all of nature that shows us beautiful things. You know, like ant colonies. Can you show the picture of the little ant thing? Ant colonies, I mean, believe me, they know how to work together. We've been trying to destroy their work in our own home for months through the summer. They're powerful little critters, and they know how to make a way where there's no way. Look at this. The beehive, it's another thing. All of creation all over the place knows how to work together. Bees moving in unison. Look at that. You know, how much, what, what do we find out it takes the bee like its whole life to make a teaspoon of honey? Is that right? A tablespoon? One tablespoon of honey, their whole life, one bee. Think about how much honey you consume. We need a lot of bees. They work together in that hive. It's a, it's a marvelous work. We don't have to, they don't have to rethink their life. They don't have to question. They just do it naturally. But humanity doesn't do that. Humanity separates from each other. Humanity, made in the image of God with the mind of Christ, a little lower than angels. We separate from one another. We judge one another. We have harsh thoughts, and we finally start getting it together, and then we get offended. We have to start all over. There's, there's a fish in the ocean. It's called an anglerfish. You can show a picture of that. It's very ugly. It's very foreboding, razor-sharp teeth. Fun facts about the angler fish. It lives in the depths, and it, it doesn't have to be pretty because no one can see it anyway. It lives in the darkness. No one ever gets near it, and if they do, they're probably in trouble, and you probably lose, lose part of your body. You see that little dangly? Look at this one has. This one's been on there a long time. This one, keep it on that one with the one light real, real quick. The angler fish makes its own light. It's so far away from any kind of colony or community of fish that it starts to think its own way making its own light and following its own existence. It's right in front of its own face. It's all it can see is itself, isolated and alone. And the one that has the whole bunch of them, that's an older one. And it has had, it's had a lot of different thoughts and a lot of different lights and a lot of different illumination. The one that has a whole bunch looks like pig pen, just like all those things all over it. Anyway, you get the point. It's like when you get away from people and you get away from your community, you start to think that you're the most important thing. You are the top of the food chain. You are the lawmaker. You're the life giver. You're the decision maker. And everything revolves around you. And I don't need to go to church because I can find God at home in my bed. I can find God at home. He's everywhere. He's listening all the time, right? God is listening all the time. If, if God didn't listen to the prayers of sinners, no one could ever come to Christ. So God listens to everything that we pray and everything that we say for sure. But when we took this little break, and, and knocked down our schedule, my lead team and myself, and we decided we were just going to do a few things, and we were going to have what we do, do, be excellent. Okay? I said do, do. I did. 
We're going to have that. We're just going to have what we put our hand to be excellent. And we, we thought, what matters? What doesn't matter? It doesn't matter if we have a huge, big party here. It matters if the word of God goes forward. It doesn't matter if we get all dressed up for Halloween. That's not a big thing that we have to do. I know it's fun. But you know what matters? That we worship God with abandon until he comes and changes our lives. Those are things that matter. So we, we stay strong and we stay focused on what matters. Now, do you think church matters? That's where we have to land. Obviously, the people in the room believe church matters because they're in the room. But church matters because when you're looking in someone's eyes, you can see the countenance of a person. You can make a, a guess at where they are with God, and, and you can be moved by the Holy Spirit on the inside to cross the room and give some kind of word of encouragement. Maybe, maybe someone has a tremendous need, and as a church, we bind together and we figure out how to meet those needs. It's a, it's a flowing, thriving community. Show the pretty fish that live in community. And something you can notice is, like, the fish that live in community, they are pretty. They're vivid. They're full of color. They don't make their own light. They look to the sun to be the source of their light. Look at the color. Look at the detail, the vividness. Your life is the same when you live in community with people. You'll look pretty. You'll look good. And it's not even just about that. It's about being able to understand where the source of light comes from and where it doesn't come from. Who, who is God? What is love? And why does he love the world so much? It's good, good, good. Psalm 68.6 says this. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. I was looking for the scripture that says God sets solitary in families because I've heard it before, but I didn't realize that it says he draws out those who are bound and brings them to prosperity. Bound by what? Loneliness, isolation, wavering, drifting. Those things do bind us. And sometimes we get so far over in offense and, and we've drifted so far away, we don't even know how to come back. We don't even want to. We might peek in and see what somebody's talking about on, on Facebook every once in a while or find some kind of sermon online. I mean, we have the best teachers. I don't mean myself. I mean the great teachers that are world speakers that have a stage of the world all over the place. We have them online. We can tune in there anytime. Why do we need this to happen? Well, God sets the solitary into a family. God sees you. He, he saw your unformed substance before you were born. So he knew you before you even entered your mother's womb and became that material that would become yourself. He knew you and he saw you. He saw you then. And he took you and he set you into the family that you live in. And spiritually, with spiritual DNA, took you and set you into this family of believers that you might never be alone again. That's good. That is good news right there. You don't have to live your life alone. You're not meant to be. You're not meant to be isolated or alone. God has set us in family. You know, God left the disciples in a room. He put them together with each other and said, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And until I come back, pour over the scripture, have dinner with each other, hang out, pray, go over the apostles' teachings. That's what he told the disciples to do until he comes again. I've had three people in the last couple weeks ask me about communion. Why don't you do communion at your church. Well, we do communion on occasion. We haven't done it in a while. And with, you know, the world being how it has been, we didn't feel like we would put a common tray out for a while, honestly, is what we were doing, just trying to be somewhat considerate and conscious of fear. We don't want to provoke fear. We want to provoke faith in your life. 
But when we have these nights of worship that are getting ready to happen on the third Wednesdays every, every month, at least through the fall, we're going to have communion every time. Will you be in the room to get it? Because we're going to have it, and we're going to serve it, okay? So we're going to do it. You just got to show up and get yourself, okay? And we believe that communion is when we go out to lunch after this, and we talk about the teaching, and we challenge each other in what, what we're doing in our lives, and we break bread together, and we share a meal, and we pray together. That is what Jesus was doing when he said, do this in remembrance of me. He didn't make some kind of monument that said, do this in remembrance of me and put a little plastic cracker and a little cup of grape juice and you open it with all the crinkly foil and drink it. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, have relationship. Communion, community. Community, communion. Okay? That's what he was saying. Now, why do we do it then sometimes? Why do we practice it? Because every once in a while when we put some object in your hand, and I like this one, we put the little cracker and the crinkly foil and the little grape juice in your hand so that you can come way past your work week, your school week, your agenda, your relationships, your failures, the bills you have to pay, your exercise, your food, and come all the way down in here past yourself into this tiny little space and look at this body and this blood and meditate on that for a second. That's why we do it that way too. It's a good idea. But community is what communion is all about, okay? Now, having said that, I trust that God is speaking to me every day, everywhere that I go. A lot of people say, I wish God would whisper in my ear. I wish God would say something to me. I wish I could hear God talk. Well, you probably hear God talk all the time. You probably just don't like what he's saying, so you reject it. That's probably what happens. Because God is reaching all the time for you because you are his delight. You are his joy. You are the apple of his eye. Okay? And so he's constantly speaking. He's constantly reaching. I trust that if I'm in a room, you know, we have a guest today. If you're, you trust that you're in this room, it's the word of God for your life for right now, for you. If I turn on a podcast and I'm going through a certain situation, I trust that God is speaking whatever's being said right there to my life today on purpose, that he can orchestrate all of those things together for my good. I believe that he does it all the time, and I believe that he does it in this room as well. And I believe that's why church matters a lot of the time. I believe that if someone can look at your countenance and someone can discern what you're going through, you grow from that. I've watched people come in here and be transformed. I have watched it. I've watched people change their mind. I've watched people get healthy emotions. I've watched people come, come to terms. I remember Scott and I sitting in church a long, long time ago, and we lived together, and we, we didn't even care or know that we were doing that. It was just part of life. It was very normal to do. And someone said something about being married, and it was just like this powerful thing, and, and we looked at each other, and we go, we live together. See, the Holy Spirit knows how to speak to us, where we are, when we are, and it's not like, you know, it's not like we felt condemned or anything like that. We just felt like maybe there's more here. Maybe there's more going on that God wants to do in a committed relationship, and he began to open our eyes to that. Wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, it's the reason that church matters, and there's, there's a scripture here in the Bible that talks about humanity being better together in the form of a body. It's Romans 12. It says this, just as each of us has one body with many members, you know, you have arms, you have legs, you have fingers, you have an elbow, you have an ear, you have a mouth, you have all the, all the parts of your body. Those are the members of your body. You are the members of this body. We are members of the entire universal body of Christ, okay? Just as the body has many members, they all don't have the same function. Verse 5, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs all to the others. That's powerful. 
See, in the social media world, the social media gives us a false sense of community. We get a false sense of community. You get followers, you get likes, you get comments. And I don't know about your life, but I don't need a friend that comments and likes. I need a friend that can listen. I need a friend that cares about what I'm going through, that can speak truth and wisdom of the word to my life. That's what I need. I need a friend I can let down my hair completely and just be myself and hang around. I don't need somebody to like my picture. See what I'm saying? That's how we live, though. We live and we thrive in that kind of a false sense of what our community is. It's powerful. Having a sense of community like this unites us. It gives us the sense that we're part of something that's bigger than just us. What if you're the be-all, end-all, you, and you have nowhere to go except to yourself? I mean, you can't even make one flower. You better find yourself a Jesus yeah. to serve. And this is where I'm going to turn a little dark. It wouldn't be me if I didn't. <laughs> but we have to measure it all out, right? Okay, so what is the future of humanity if we continue to forsake assembling together? What's the future of mankind if we don't get together and do church and worship God and have some good work and have something to hold our, our confession of hope to? I'm going to pose to us that it will become more and more virtual. And I, I just listened to an AI TED Talk, artificial intelligence TED Talk. I don't know if you ever listen to TED Talk. I mean, I, like to, I listen to stuff and study all the time, and sometimes I feel like I have so much of the Bible and so much of the Word and so much of these kind of books that are full of the Bible and full of the Word, but I try to just see what science is saying. I like science. I like it. I believe God ordained it. So I'll just try to take a listen, and TED Talks are full of that kind of information and education. So I was listening to this talk about artificial intelligence, and they were, they were asking the question, how long before robots are human? That was the question, and I'm like, I mean, you know, again, I'm not a genius, but I'm like, the answer is never. A robot will never be a human because a robot is a robot, and a human is a human. <coughs> I mean, I'm not of the new school where you teach me a new math. Two plus two is always going to be four, baby, forever. I don't care how a word makes you feel. It has a phonetic. It has a, sil <laughs> it has a pronunciation, and it has a definition, and it is what it is. Things are defined. Things are defined by God from the day that he set Adam in that chair and named all these animals. Things became defined, and they are defined. But what's happened to us is we've become so virtual that all the lines around the definition of who we're supposed to be have gotten really blurry. And if you remember, last week we read the scripture about how God and Ezekiel promised to take out our stony heart and put in a heart of flesh. Remember that? I was talking to Scott about that verse. And Ezekiel, too, he doesn't just say it once. He comes back and says it again for emphasis. Chapter 11, chapter 30-something. He comes back with the same verse. I'm going to take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And I was like, man, I don't want a fleshy heart. I already have that, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you what. I don't know why God even lets me do half of what he lets me do. And I was like, I don't want a fleshy heart. I already have a fleshy heart, God. And he's like, no, you don't. What's happened to us is we've lost our sense of humanity and our hearts have grown cold like a stone because the human heart is never meant to be the capacity to carry fear or worry or abuse or neglect or hate or bitterness. The human heart is meant to carry love, is meant to carry compassion, 
is meant to carry the essence of the Spirit of God on the inside. But when we go through things like hardship, global pandemic, everything else that you can possibly fathom in your life that's hard, it hardens the heart. And so God, by the miracle of God, reaches in to touch that place, and the heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh again. The future of humanity has to be we regain our humanity because we lost it somewhere. When we regain our humanity and we let God put in a heart of flesh and remove the heart of stone, see, you'll know. Because it's even when you have a heart of stone, you ever see anyone who's old and then they've just gone through this heart of stone for a long time and their whole face is like drawn? They're just like crabby. They're just like, Ugh. and if they, if they say anything, it's a grunt. <clears throat> or it's, if they say a joke, it's negative and hurtful. They never found the place where they let God come in and do that miracle in my heart, God, and take away the stony heart and make it flesh again. It's not like you have a heart transplant. You just have a heart change. It's the presence and power of God to come and touch your heart and make it human again. Do you ever see a movie where the angel falls to earth and because they did something bad in heaven and they fall to earth and they got to be a human now because that's their punishment? You ever see anything like that? I have to. Here's the thing. When, when you look at a movie like that, and then the, the angel has to figure out and, you know, meander through humanity to figure out how to win, win his way back, well, that is a harsh joke. Because being human is not the punishment. Being human is the prize. We're not some meat sack. We are made in the image of God. Just a little lower than an angel's glory. We're made in the presence of God. God delights over us with singing. He sings songs about us. He rejoices over us with a song. He, his thoughts about us are more than the granules of sand on a seashore. And his delight is in us. Apple of his eye. Tattooed in his hand. We could talk about tattoos another time. The Lord God has some. King of kings and Lord of lords. We have to regain our humanity at any cost, at every cost. Thank you, God. I guess you probably didn't know that your heart is broken, that your heart is fragmented. God comes to heal it. Just in closing this morning, I want you to just put your hand on your heart, if you can agree with it, if you want to. If you want to sit with a heart of stone, I can't do anything about that. If you want to stay home every single week and forsake assembling together, I can't touch that. That's all up to you. But if you want God to speak to your heart, just put your hand on it right now. And take away this stony heart, God, that got so jacked up when he said that about me. Take away my stony heart, God, that is judgmental beyond. Take away my heart of stone, God, that I forgot to be nice to people. Take away my heart of stone, God, that made me feel insignificant and insecure, that I felt like I was broken before you and I wasn't good enough to sing your praise, God. God, would you come and heal my wound? Would you come in here and touch my heart of stone and make me human? Show me how to feel, God. God, I don't want to live in anything that's artificially intelligent. I want to live in your presence, God and your goodness. Take my heart of stone and make it flesh again. 
and help me regain my humanity, God. And we thank you and praise you for this community of believers that we're never alone. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'll see you guys next time. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to like and follow for the next installment of the Loft Podcast. If you want to be a partner with the Loft, you can give on Givelify.com. If you need more information, check us out on Facebook or at theloftgathering.com. And of course, join us 1030 Sunday mornings. Hope you have a great week. Till next time.